Hey guys, do you love candles as much as I love candles? If you do, you gotta check out Circle E Candles. I'm telling you, their candles are absolutely my favorites. I have been buying candles from Circle E Candles for over 10 years, and my house always smells amazing. They're triple scented. They're also always running specials, so there's always a good discount on something, or if you buy a certain amount, you can get free shipping. I'm gonna add their link in my show notes so you can go check them out yourself. And guys, seriously, this place is legit. They ship all over the United States. So check them out. They're fantastic. And I wouldn't steer you wrong. You know that. So hey, if I love them, I know you're going to love them. Circle E Candles. You really have to get yourself some. And also let them know you heard about them from me. Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where we get into people's heads and find out how their choices in life has affected them. My name is Leslie Fear. I'm your host. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined with Mark Domasio, and he is an E6 Petty Officer First Class and worked on the USS Dwight Eisenhower aircraft carrier and also the USS George H.W. Bush aircraft carrier. I found him on Instagram loved his videos, reached out to him, and he was so kind and said he'd love to do my podcast because I've got a lot of questions for him. So welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you for taking time to chat with me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Well, I tell you, first of all, I hope you have head counseling earphones because I don't even know if you can still hear or if you've, (laughs) after those videos, my goodness, those planes are the F-18s. They're so loud. Yeah. So it's one of the common things that people deal with when they get off working on the flight deck, some hearing issues. So for now, uh, I'm a relatively young person, so my hearing is okay, but maybe in a few years it might start going downhill. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully it'll be fine. Um, but the videos, now your handle name is Flight Deck Life. So you obviously worked on the flight deck for all the planes to leave and take off and all those things. That in itself is craziness to me, watching them land and watching them take off because it's like a whole production. So tell me kind of what you did for that part of it. Absolutely. So my role or actually my rate in the Navy was an aviation boatswain mate equipment. So ABE, if you compare that to, you know, how I think other services have MOS, things like that, or specialties. Okay. So as an ABE, we work on the aircraft carrier's catapults and arresting gear. So basically, we launch the planes and we recover the planes. So I worked in the catapults, which is where you'll see the majority of my videos. And my job was to supervise the launch of all fixed-wing aircraft from the carrier. And a lot of that involves performing maintenance on the catapult on all the subsystems and along with all the administration. As you can imagine, you know, it's government work, so there's a lot of paperwork involved. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, how long is a typical aircraft carrier? So the flight deck of an aircraft carrier is about four and a half acres. Okay. Wow. That's that's a lot. Well, and you guys live on this. Is it a ship? Is that what you would call her? You know, some people call it a ship. Some people call it a boat. I call it a boat. I know some uh, submarine people say that boats are... That term is exclusively reserved for submarines, but, you know, boat, ship, either way works. Okay, gotcha. Now, I'm going to ask some weird questions because I'm a girl, and I would want to know because it would scare the heck out of me to know that there might be a hurricane coming or you might be hit with a tsunami wave. What do you guys do when things like that happen? So the good thing about hurricanes and, you know, 
well, at least with hurricanes, is we can usually see when they're coming. So we have weathermen aboard. You know, we're tied into, you know, high-tech military government satellites. So we have a good idea of where bad weather is coming from. So we'll typically do our best to sail away from it. Right, okay. Uh, if, if we're in port and there's a hurricane coming, so, you know, we have carriers based in Virginia. If a hurricane is coming, the ship will pull out. It will go out to sea and it will we'll sail to calmer waters because it's an important asset to the United States, and they'll try and protect it and the crew. So they'll go out to sea for a week or two, however long. It'll sail south or north, and it'll get it out of harm's way. Wow. See, that's that's so impressive to me that something that big can just sail away. You know, bye-bye. See you later. We got planes on here, too. We're good. Now, you have, like, a whole, like, I would think city within a small little city, correct? I mean, is there's obviously a, I don't know if it's a restaurant or a mess hall, whatever you call it. I don't even know if you have some kind of games room or, you know, tell me the kind of life it is when you're not working. Absolutely. So, you are right. An aircraft carrier is a floating city. So about 5,000 to 5,500 people live and work. The work is 24 hours a day. So you have some people that work during the day, some people that work at night. So myself, I was working from 7 a.m. until 10, 11, 12 p.m. So, you know, 18 to 20 hour days were not uncommon. So work is going on at all times. There's definitely not a time when everyone on the ship is asleep because, you know, the ship is sailing. So there's always people that need to be working security, you know, on the radars, driving the ship in the reactor, so on and so forth. But when you are off work, the ship does have, you know, a good amount of amenities. So it'll have two or three gyms so people can work out, lift weights, at least another one or two cardio gyms. Okay. The ship will have a small library. It'll have a couple, maybe two, maybe three little convenience stores so you can buy things that you don't necessarily get in the mess deck, which is the cafeteria. So, okay. you know, if you're looking for just, you know, cup of noodle or some candy bars or if you need things like lotion shampoo conditioner toiletries things like that you can get those at the little ship stores because i was going to ask you i mean i would assume because you are in the military all of the things on the mess hall or in the mess deck or whatever you want to call it um, that would all just be complimentary because it's just part of your job correct that's correct so On an aircraft carrier, when you're on deployment, there's always going to be food available to you. So you'll always get at least, you know, two or three square meals a day. So that's a nice thing you can always count on. Absolutely. Well, I got to ask because, you know, I like my vodka. Um, You probably can't drink on the the boat, I'm assuming. There's no bar area. (laughs) That's correct. We actually have served with some French sailors from the USS Charles de Gaulle and they actually have a pub on board their carrier, and us American oh. sailors are not so lucky. Oh. I bet you're all just like, um, we'll go over there, see how they're doing. We'll just kind of hang out with them. I know you guys take swimming days some days when it's uh, warmer waters. I saw a video where you guys were just jumping off, what, like three or four stories, I don't know, 40 or 30 right. feet. Yeah. And you were like, check out the French carrier in the background. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'd swim over there and go, uh. <laughs> yeah. If only. I know. So I also noticed in the video, there are men that are either down there with you, searching the waters, making sure there's no sharks or anything dangerous for you guys while you swim. And there's that kind of thing going on as well, correct? That's correct. So what you're referring to is a swim call. So we'll get those usually one, maybe two times over the course of a seven to nine month deployment. It's just a nice thing to, you know, 
for the crew to relax, build some morale, get some recreation in. And there are boat crews in the water, so they'll ride on the small boats. Uh, They will have weapons in case there are sharks. They are rescue swimmers, so in case anyone goes into distress, they can jump in the water and save them. So there's a lot of protection for us out there while we're swimming in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, because you're like in the middle of the Indian Ocean, at least in that one you were. I don't know if it's always that ocean. It might be the Atlantic or the Pacific. I'm not sure. But in that particular one, it was the Indian Ocean. Yep. Yeah. So let me ask you this, though, because I know one of the flights or one of the actual airplanes you guys just retired, like in 2015, was an actual plane that scrambled enemy radio and gathered intelligence from them. And I don't know if that's something that was done recently or if that was more of a World War II thing. Can you tell me a little bit more about that plane? Yeah, absolutely. So that plane you're referring to is actually my favorite aircraft. It's the EA-6B Prowler. Yeah, that was So cool. like you said, yeah, like you said, its job was uh, the EA refers to electronic attack. So basically, if there was an enemy on the ground and they have a cell phone or they have radar, as long as we have one of those planes in the air, it could jam the radar, jam their communication. So it's one of those aircraft that helps assist our fire-bomber aircraft in battle to help jam enemy radar and protect them. So they were retired. The EA-6B Prowlers were retired in 2015, but they were replaced by the EA-18G Growler. So that's basically, yeah. So that's basically the F-18's body with the electronic attack components attached to it. Wow. Okay, so an F-18, is there like one or two or more that can man that flight, or is it just one person? Yeah, depending on the model, the F-18E will have a single seat, and the F-18F will have two seats. Okay, because that was so cool to watch those things take off and land. I can only imagine, Mark, I mean, what if something goes wrong and some of those cables snap? That would probably very harshly injure someone and or maybe kill them. Has that ever happened? It has. So, you know, if you look online and you just type in something like wire snap aircraft carrier, you can see some instances of the wire snapping on recovery and those can result in really dangerous situations. So it happens extremely rarely. As you can imagine, the maintenance that goes into those components that hold those cables is very involved. There's a lot of eyes on it to make sure something unsafe doesn't happen. But In case something happens, the wire does snap, there's an issue with the arresting gear engine. That's why they tell us on the flight deck to always keep your head on the swivel because you never know if you've seen 1,000 aircraft recoveries or you've seen 10 aircraft recoveries. It just takes that one where you're taking your eye off of what's going on where something bad can happen you could really get injured. So in 2016, I was on the flight deck when a wire did snap. Oh, no. And... Absolutely. So the wire snapped and it hit, I think, six or seven people. If you look on the video that's on YouTube of it, there's a reason why the plane goes to full throttle when it hits the deck. Because in case the tail hook misses the wire or the wire snaps, it wants to be able to be carrying enough speed to go back off deck. Because the worst thing that would happen is the plane lands or it touches the deck, it slows down, and it, the pilot doesn't realize that their wire didn't caught, and then they go into the water. So right, right. If you watch the video, yeah. So if you watch that video, you'll see it go off the flight deck and disappear from view for a few seconds before it rises back above the level of the ship. And luckily, we were off the coast of Virginia, so it was able to fly back to home base in Virginia. But 
back on board the ship, you know, there were a good handful of people that got hurt. Luckily, none of the injuries were fatal, but there were a good handful of serious injuries. And speaking of someone that was one of the leaders in my division during that time, there were a lot of sailors that were very traumatized by what happened. Mm, I can only imagine. And I'm sure with that kind of snap, um, we're not talking about just a little bruise. We're talking about maybe a loss of limb or something like that, maybe? Absolutely. The injuries can get as bad as that because if you think that aircraft is landing on deck at around 160 miles an hour, mm. it's putting a lot of tension on those cables. And those, those cables are working hydraulically to try and reduce some of that tension. It's still a ton of force. So add all that combined with the elastic of the cable snapping, People can and have lost limbs in the past. I mean, you just take a quick YouTube search and you can see some people dealing with some serious injuries. There's one that we watch in training school where you see the cable take someone out, take out their legs. It's low quality, so you don't see anything too graphic. But you see one person who was paying attention, you see him luckily jump over the cable twice. So, you know, that's why they tell us to keep your head on a swivel. So I assume you have a pretty good hospital or clinic on board to handle things like that, and and I would assume doctors and nurses, is that correct as well? Absolutely. The aircraft carrier is lucky enough to have a large enough hospital and hospital staff that basically any procedure can take place on board in an emergency if need be. It's rare that something occurs where the ship has to do it all on board, but there's often the opportunity where we're close to Virginia or we're close to a base where we can we can fly the patient off to get care on land. Right. Now, let me ask you this, though. If you do happen to lose someone, do you keep them there, maybe in a morgue or whatever? Um, it seems like I watched a video a while back where maybe, I don't know if you were getting rid of a coffin maybe in the water. I may be assuming right now. So tell me what the protocol is on that. So typically, I would probably say all the time, the sailor, if a sailor lost their life, they would be flown home. So the ship, you know, if we can fly off our fighter jets, we can fly off our cargo planes, we'll get somewhere safe enough to fly off one of our cargo planes with the deceased on board. So we'll always try and take care. There are instances of burials at sea, but that's typically something that will get requested. So I personally haven't seen one, at least with a sailor that was still active duty, but I've seen many burials at sea with, say, people that were retiring or, you know, veterans, very old, that wanted their remains put at sea. So, you know, we'll have a whole ceremony for that. And it's actually, you know, quite a beautiful ceremony for, especially if there's someone who served for 20, 25 years and, you know, they're in their 80s, 90s and they pass away and that's how they want to be remembered. And it's quite a beautiful ceremony. Absolutely. That, to me, that would be very moving. And I know you basically, you didn't retire. You went ahead and what do you call it uh, when you left after eight and a half years? Correct. So I just transitioned, you know, I didn't serve the full 20 years for a full retirement but I did my eight and a half years, so two enlistments, and then I made a decision to move on from the military. Right. And you left in July of 2020. Now, let me ask you, with COVID, what were your protocol issues there? Were you guys allowed? Well, I don't even know if it if you guys were already at sea when that kind of broke out and you just stayed away, or what was going on then? So. I can only speak for the Navy, but the Navy had a lot of very interesting issues with COVID. So there was a famous story of an aircraft carrier that was in the Pacific, the USS Theodore Roosevelt. And 
one of their sailors or a few of their sailors had contracted COVID while they were in port. Oh, no. And they brought that aboard. Absolutely, yeah. So they brought that on board, and there was an outbreak. And then the ship pulled into Guam to try and quarantine. But famously, the commanding officer didn't feel that his ship was receiving the proper resources to handle the outbreak. So there was a big incident where he wrote a letter to the Department of the Navy that basically the services that they were receiving were unsatisfactory and the letter got released to the media and became a a large incident to the point where he was fired as commanding officer. The secretary of the Navy flew from D.C. to Guam to talk to the crew and he talked to the crew that was slightly unprofessional way or in an uncaring way in my opinion Mm. to the point where on his way back from Guam to D.C. he resigned. So it was, okay. a, it was a very big, yeah, it was a very big incident. So yeah, and it's funny because I remember hearing something like that. And now that you're saying it, it's it's jogging my memory because it's been a while. But yeah, I do remember hearing about that. I Maybe not on my local news. I think it was on the, the actual national news. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of, I don't know how many, if anybody uh, passed away during that, but you know, you can't be taking this pandemic lightly. Yeah, you have to be careful with all of those things. And my goodness. So some of the other things I was going to ask you, what are the protocols? What what happens if you guys are out at sea? And all of a sudden, what happens if you are attacked? What do you guys have training for that? Like, do you go into lockdown? What happens when that happens? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like you said, one of the famous things we say in the Navy is, the safest place in the world is on an aircraft carrier yeah. because while you are on a, uh, a warship, the aircraft carrier is not out there by itself and it's not floating without anything to protect it. So, you know, on the aircraft carrier, you have advanced defense systems, advanced radar systems. You also have, you know, 50 to 60 aircraft that they can scramble and launch in wow. under 15 minutes. Yeah, in under 15 minutes, we can get an aircraft off deck. And in under 60 minutes, we can get every aircraft off deck as long as we have a little bit of heads up. Yeah. So along with that, so if you think about the aircraft carrier, the beehive, you have all those fighter jets as the bees. And then accompanying that is you'll have a couple frigates or cruisers. So you have two smaller ships. Their job is to protect the aircraft carrier. You'll also have possibly a submarine. And then you'll have a lot of, you know, local land bases in the area that are also aware. So everyone's sharing the same net of radar. Right. And you guys are really the first line of defense before they can get maybe to the U.S. or to some other area uh, that's a U.S. territory, correct? Well, you know, that's kind of hard to say because, you know, like I said, between the Navy and all of the other services and all of our allies, you know, there's a big there's a big net that's cast over the United States protecting it. So whether it's the last line of defense, I wouldn't say so, but I'd imagine that if something were to happen, many lines would be working at once. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure, yes. But I mean, what I'm saying is you are the first line of defense in something that would happen over water. You guys might be some of the first people to handle it before they got here is kind of what I meant. Oh, yes. No, absolutely. So a funny thing is, you know, all the, the ships in the Navy, their top speeds are, quote, classified. But the idea is that, say, an incident were to go down in the Middle East, we could put an aircraft carrier from Virginia into the Middle East in about a week, maybe a little longer. 
I couldn't tell you which ships are out, but I know we have a ship in the Atlantic. We have a ship around the Indian Ocean, maybe a ship in the Mediterranean, one or two ships in the Pacific Ocean. So wherever anything happens in the globe, you know, 75% of the globe is covered in water. So if it's covered in water, that means we can put a ship there. Wow. See, that's, see that just kind of gave me chills. That's so cool. Okay, I got to ask you the question that I know my uh, listeners want to know. Have you seen a UFO? I have not seen any UFOs. Really? I would say absolutely. So the the stars are wonderful out to see. Oh. There are definitely a lot of peaceful nights when we're in that little 20 to 30 minute window before we start launching when you're just looking at the stars, thinking about home, thinking about life. And the stars are nowhere clearer than in the, in the middle of the Persian Gulf, in the middle of the Indian Ocean, in the middle of the Atlantic or Pacific. Mm. So the stars are very clear. Right. But I personally have not seen a UFO. I have talked to many pilots that say they have seen weird stuff, you know, maybe out of the corner of their eye. But in terms of anything confirmed, I haven't seen anything personally. Right. Yeah. Well, I had to ask, you know, come on. I'm a paranormal girl. I got to know. I got to know it all. Okay. So (laughs) I I believe it, you know, on on the uh, topic of the paranormal, I think every sailor would tell you that every ship they served on was a little bit haunted. Oh, my God. Okay. Tell me more. Did that happen to you? Did you feel anything, see anything? Tell me everything. Absolutely. So, you know, like I said, the, the ship is operating 24 hours a day, but after sunset and before sunrise, the ship is in what's known as darkened ship. So, okay. you know, the interior lights are off or they're on red lights. But the thing is, people are still working. Sometimes you're walking around in the dark just to have a flashlight. And if you think about a carrier like the Eisenhower, it's 40, 50 years old. Right. It's served in many battles. So there are definitely times, you know, you have to think, the ship has seen more people have passed away on the ship. More people have lost their lives for whatever reason besides war. You know, they took their own lives. Anything can happen like that. So on that note, there have definitely been times when I've been walking around the ship when I was on watch, say, 2 in the morning, and you just, you hear sounds. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And there are stories of sailors that have lost their life on the flight deck, and people will say that they saw a ghost in the steam coming up or they felt a chill of cold on the flight deck. Oh, wow. There are doors that will just open and close. And especially, you know, the doors on board a ship aren't just wood doors. They're steel doors with hatches. They're watertight doors. So it's weird when you hear a watertight door open and then you look into a room and no one's in there. And, you know, that's not something that can just blow open. Right. I'm sure people are like, no, there's people that are working right now. You you know, it's in your head. But by the time you're on any ship, for as long as you've been on those ships, whether it's four years on one or four years on another or whatever, that's a long time to be on a four-acre ship. Let's be honest. So the fact that you could go around and know pretty much the, every inch of it and know everybody that's working and everybody, you know, everybody knows your shift. There's not that many people. There's a lot, but not that many. So you wonder, you, you probably, of all people, the people that live there, know What's the right sound when you hear somebody working and what's not and what looks right and what doesn't? So I can only imagine the residual energy, if nothing else, of just all of the people that maybe just died and came back to it because they loved it. Maybe they didn't die on the ship. Maybe they just love it and came back and they're visiting. Who knows? I'm all into that, too. So, yeah. (laughs) Do you have like do you have your own room or do you have to share? How's that set up? So for someone I was in a, a lower enlisted like myself. We sleep in these large rooms that'll have 30, 40, 50, 60 people known as a birthing. So it's oh, okay. three-layer bunk beds, 
everything you own is in your locker. So your bed will lift up and there's a bunch of open space for you to put your things. And then you'll have one tiny locker. So everything you own on the ship goes into those spaces. Maybe if you're lucky in your work center or in your office, you have another locker there. But otherwise, everything you you know and own is right there with you in a room with 60 other people. Wow. I'm going to be honest, Mark. That doesn't sound fun for me. (laughs) It definitely takes a lot getting used to because, like I said, people are always awake. So you'll be in bed with just your curtain. And then a foot above you, there's someone sleeping. A foot below you, there's someone sleeping. A foot on either side of you, you know, there's, you're like the center square in the Brady Bunch or in Hollywood Squares. Oh, my gosh. Okay. See, no, no, I I couldn't do it. Well, God bless you for doing it. Thank you for your service. Let me just throw that in (laughs) because that's amazing. My nephew also served in the Navy on a sub. And um, he's no longer doing it. He was, I think he was only in it for four years because I don't even know how he did it. I would probably have anxiety and PTSD after that, too. I don't even know how people can do that. Have you ever been on a sub? Would you ever want to do that? I have been on a submarine. It's not for me. I mean, I like to be outside. Yeah, yeah I like to be outside. I love the job that I did while I was in the Navy. Submarine life is very different. You know, I'm sure they'll tell you a lot of submarines never get to go to a foreign country and spend a few days there. A lot of times they will just be underwater for, you know, two, three, four, maybe longer months at a time. And that gets tough. But to the submariner's credit, the food on a submarine is some of the best food in the Navy because the worse the life is on your ship, the better the food is. So on an aircraft carrier, it's not as great. Oh. <laughs> Well, you know what? God bless him, because that's, I mean, give him some good food, because that's at least incentive. You've got a great chef. I don't even know how the chef does it, though. I don't know how. I'd be too claustrophobic. I don't know how they do it. You just, a lot of that just takes getting used to. I mean, with anything, nothing can prepare you for being on a ship out to sea for seven, nine months without seeing your family. So the only way you're going to learn is to get out there and figure out how to get used to it yourself. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm sure they have psychological tests that you have to take or or evaluations before you can even step foot on one. Uh, I know he did for a little while. He had to be tested or something. I'm not sure exactly what he went through. But yeah, wow, I had a lot of admiration for him and you for what you did. My goodness. So well, it's just, well, it's amazing. And, you know, I, I'm in awe of you guys for serving because, yeah, you do have to leave your families. You have to leave, you know, I don't know if you're married. I didn't even ask you. Um, but even if it's just your parents or siblings and or a wife and children, that takes a lot. First of all, to me, that just takes guts to just leave and serve our country in the way that all of you servicemen have been doing, especially in some of these tumultuous times. But I got to ask you another question. Are there affairs going on? Is there anything nefarious with that going on? <laughs> uh, ab- absolutely. Okay. <laughs> this is one of the things that I really enjoy talking about because it, it shocks people because, you know, as you said, people will spend days, weeks, months away from their their loved ones, you know, their husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, what have right. you. So. You know, I will admit there are a lot of affairs that will take place on board. You'll hear things about, I'm married in port, but out to sea I'm single. The big term is boat boo, so you'll have your girlfriend while out to sea, things like that. Or you'll see someone, once they come back home after deployment, you see them put their wedding ring back on. So those happen more often than 
people realize. Oh my gosh, really? Wow. Absolutely. Wow. And on both men and women. Correct. So I think a lot of older veterans that didn't get to serve with the opposite sex, they will say, you know, like, I don't understand how new sailors can focus while people of the opposite sex are on board. And the thing is, we did, but we, we figured it out anyway. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, do you get in trouble for that? Or is it frowned upon? Or is it just, hey, if, as long as it's not interrupting your service with us, we don't care? The answer is, it's all three of those things. So I guess the rule is, or not the rule, the, the rule of thumb is, if you do it, don't get caught. But also, you know, there's a lot of fraternization that can go on. So say that you're in a relationship with someone that works underneath you or works above you, then there are conflicts of interest. So obviously those things are not allowed. Also, you know, don't do things publicly. So like you can't just be in a hallway holding hands, kissing whoever your boyfriend or girlfriend is. So, you know, be discreet. People understand that it is happening, but be discreet, be professional and don't let it get in the way of your work. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, Sometimes I think people just get lonely and like the company of someone else. And I, I can understand it. Um, I, I wouldn't ever want my husband to do it if he was gone that long. But, you know, I don't know if, if people give people free passes. I certainly wouldn't. But, you know, that's just me. I'm a jealous woman, I guess. <laughs> we all know a lot of times the same thing happens at home. So, you know, a husband or wife goes out to sea and then their partner's at home. Whereas, you know, we're stuck out to sea with the people that we live and work with at home. You know, maybe... You know, your partner goes out to a bar with their friends. You know, things happen. Right. So no, it, it really does test the relationship. Oh, I can only imagine. Now, you guys, do you have internet to where you can call or video home? Or what do you do? Do you have to go to a, to a certain place, you know, to do those th- kinds of things? Or can you use a cell phone? What do you do with that? So we can't use cell phones. Oh, okay. There is internet, but it is very, very limited. It's basically like using dial-up internet. So if you want to go to... Facebook, you'd have to go to m.facebook.com. You'd have to use the mobile site. And if so, it would load very slow. If you want to make a phone call, you have to buy a phone card and use the ship's phone lines. So the price on those is about 37 cents a minute. Oh, wow. So it can get crazy. So say I, I call my mom and she doesn't answer the phone and it rings and I leave a voicemail, you know, that call just cost me $3. Yeah. You would think that they would at least pay for that too, since you're on a ship for or a boat for that long. You think they'd say, you know what? Yes. Call home for free. We're good with that. Nope. Because then, I don't know, it's, that's one of those things that we don't get so lucky on. Yeah. So, but there is, luckily there is email, um, you know, there's still snail mail. So I still like to write postcards home, get letters from home. I like the, uh, the classic idea of that. And there is email, so that's very nice as well. So at least that allows us to get pictures from friends and family pretty quickly. Right. Now, did you serve eight and a half consecutive years on the ships or on the boats? Or how did it work for you? I served five years out to sea and then three years ashore. Gotcha. Your videos, guys, if you love watching the Navy uh, aircraft carrier videos, things like that, and these F-18s taking off and landing, first of all, it's jaw-dropping. It's amazing to watch these videos, and he's got the best videos that I've seen. And I've tried to look at other ones, and they're just not as good as his. His are, well, what I like about his, he puts music to them. 
you know, he puts some, uh, sometimes he'll put like words up so you know what's going on, you know what flights are going out. It's just a lot of fun. So Mark, tell us where my listeners can find you on social media, whether it's on, you know, YouTube and all the things. I know you're on several different uh, social media sites. Absolutely. So the name of the video channel is Flight Deck Life. So you can search Flight Deck Life on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, Flight Deck Life. And on Instagram, the handle is Flight Deck Life Videos. So if you type in Flight Deck Life anywhere, I guarantee you our videos will pop up. Oh, and they do. That, that's that's one thing. And I'll put your um, handle and all your links in my show notes so people can go look, subscribe on your YouTube, and maybe follow you on Instagram and TikTok because you guys are fantastic. And you do. Now, are you the primary one that does all the videos too, Mark? That is all me. That is all you. Good for you. You are doing so well. And your channel on YouTube is doing very well too. Good for you. And this is fun, if nothing else, to bring back the memories for you, but to also have it documented so you can go back and maybe show kids kids or friends or family or whatever. I think that's fantastic for you too. Absolutely. You know, working out to sea on the flight deck of an aircraft here, it's a very unique one of a kind experience that's hard to explain. So I'm proud that I have videos that I can look back on. I love seeing in the comments people who either served on the flight deck or had friends and family that served on the flight deck that have an idea where they can see what it's really like working out there. Well, thank you again for your service, Mark, because I tell you, I'm so impressed. That's why I got a hold of you. And you said yes right away. And I thank you so much for that. And I thank you so much for being on my podcast. Well, thank you very much for bringing me on. I really appreciate it. If you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review. It'll help my podcast out and more people will be able to listen. Also, I am a novelist and write paranormal romance. All my books are available on Amazon.com, so check me out. And you can also reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you guys all for your support, and I'll talk to you next week.